Well, it's fabulous to see everybody again. Uh, it's always a, a treat for me to be down here, and uh, I love that song. Actually, uh, with all I am, uh, I'd never heard that song until I, I heard Johan do it. And uh, I still say he's, he's one of the best worship leaders that I've ever seen, and I've been a lot of places around the world, uh, and I'm just so thankful for you and uh, the team. And he seems to bring out the best in, in people around him as well. And that's a, such a, a sign of quality leadership. Uh, it's just a really, really great blessing. Uh, so, uh, uh, it's, so it's nice to be down south again, uh, being up north. And uh, it's really wonderful to see you all. Uh, and I'm grateful for Rianne for trusting me. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a risk. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a big, big risk, especially inviting any kind of an American to your pulpit is always dangerous. Uh, but thankfully, you know, I don't identify myself, people, as an American much anymore. People say, well, where are you from? I say, London. <laughs> I look, where are you from? London. And they're trying to figure out the accent. I can't quite catch the accent. Well, it's a West London accent, <laughs> about 4,000 miles west. And so that, that's the way that goes. Well, if you happen to have your Bible with you, let's turn together to Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it's a great, great letter from the Apostle Paul. And today we're going to begin reading kind of in the middle of the paragraph, probably there, verse 8. And I'm going to read down through verse 16. Paul here has uh, just been talking about, he, he, he's told the, uh, the Philippians to watch out for the Judaizers. These were Christians who were trying to force people to be Jewish as well as Christians. Uh, and, uh, and then he's saying, well, you know, I, I have reason to boast along with anybody else. Uh, the reason to have confidence in the flesh. Uh, I'm a super Pharisee. I'm well-educated. I was wealthy. I was highly respected. And uh, then he picks up here with verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have, ob ha have attained. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the years, I've encountered uh, quite a number of people uh, as, a, as a church leader. And I remember one woman that I encountered. And there's a lot of situations that really probably make me rather sad. Uh, one of the, it's part of the business of being a pastor is you spend a lot of time 
sad. You spent a lot of time uh, just mourning over people. And I remember this uh, one woman was coming and, and she said, well, I've got all these issues in my life. Uh, I've got, you know, this thing from my childhood and this thing from my, a past relationship. Uh, and I'm just carrying around a lot of pain. Uh, and and I, I really want God to heal me on the inside. And once God heals me on the inside, then I'll be able to do the things that God wants me to do. Then I'll be able to follow Jesus as God wants me. Uh, then I'll be able to serve in church and, and, and so on and so forth. And so this woman went from uh, ministry to ministry, uh, doing weekend conferences and week-long conferences and personal one-to-one sessions and, and counseling appointments and, uh, and just one thing after another, after another, after another, and never found the healing that she wanted and consequently never moved in to the ministry that God had for her. I've also seen other people who have come into uh, the body of Christ, into the church, and they think that, you know, the church is going to be, we're all going to love each other, and you're going to say, hey, oh, hey, I know you, I love you, uh, you know, I love you, yeah, I, I love you, oh, are we just loving each other, let's just hug and, and be nice, and then as soon as you have conflict, you know, they're like, oh, you know, what, what can possibly happen, why, why is there conflict, we're supposed to love one another. Or they don't get their way. And they say, well, I thought this was a church. I thought you were a Christian. And they get so upset because they have this idealistic distortion of what Christianity is all about. It's a bit like getting married to a guy. And gals, you have this idealistic distortion that somehow this guy never smells bad. Uh, he always is clean shaven every day. When he wakes up uh, immediately, the beard falls away. Uh, that uh, he never has any body odor, uh, and he's always going to do everything you want him to do perfectly every single time. And be your soulmate, you know, go out shopping with you and your girlfriends, uh, and then do manly stuff. You know, and that never works, because it's not the way that we are. It's not the way that we're wired. Uh, and so people come in and I say, you know, as soon as I find a church that's going to meet my expectations, that's when I'm going to serve the Lord. That's when I'm going to get involved. That's when I'm going to move forward in what God has for me. And these people go from church to church to church to church to church, and they never move into what God has for them. It's a bit like uh, people, and I've known a, quite a number of guys who are older now, who have gone around from woman to woman to woman to woman, and never, never quite popped the question, never quite made the, the step forward because they think, well, maybe there's something better somewhere. And so they go a long time and they're never married. And, and unfortunately, these people go a long time and they never find a church that they can connect in with because that is not quite the way it works. Or another dynamic that I've seen is a number of people say, well, you know, I've worked hard in this church. I've served hard in this fellowship. Now it's time for me to get the blessing. Now it's time for me to rest on my laurels and have other people serve me and other people take care of me. I've got gray hair now. I've been at this for a very long time. And, and, and then if other people will finally serve me, then I will get what I want. And again, these people are bitterly disappointed and they, they tend to be grumpy, old uh, uh, ex-leaders who, who just never like anything and always criticizing other people. Uh, 
Or I get people who say, you know, once God does this in my life, once I have the right job, then I'll serve the Lord. Once I have the right house, then I'll serve the Lord. Once I pay off my mortgage, that's when I can give the way that God wants me to do it. Uh, once my wife and I have our issues worked out, once the children are grown up and, and gone to, to university, then we can serve the Lord. Then we'll have the freedom to do that. And the truth is, even in that situation, the people never move into what God has for them. They never experience the destiny that God has planned for them. And consequently, they never experience the deepest blessings of their life in Jesus Christ. And this is a real challenge because so many Christians are actually missing it. So many Christians live their lives with all this unfulfilled potential, thinking that, oh, if only the circumstances were right, if only I was healed, if only people would give me what I think I need, if only people would, would work together with me in the right way in, in, the, in the body of Christ, if only God would do these things in my life, then I'm going to serve Him, then I'm going to live for Him, then I'm going to be effective in my ministry, in my service, in my family, whatever you can fill in the blank. And the truth is, it never happens. It never happens. Because we miss something that is really, really important. Something that Paul was talking about today. Paul actually gives us today what he would call his one thing. Uh, you can read a lot of books, and there are a lot of books out there, and there are a lot of people uh, kind of peddling their Christian wares. You can go on the website, you know, the 10 secrets to Christian success, uh, the 10 keys to overcoming, uh, all these kinds of things, and, and you pay enough money. But actually, Paul right here, he says, listen, you don't need 10 things. You don't need a dozen things. You don't need to buy another book. You got the book, the Bible. Uh, Paul says, there's one thing. There's one thing. And for Paul, he said, this one thing I do. This for Paul was the key to his, the longevity of his ministry. It was the key to the effectiveness of his ministry. For Paul, this was at the center of the, the realization of everything that God had for him in his life. He said, this one thing. But before we look at it, we need to do a bit of a reality check because that's where Paul starts. Uh, and we're going to start with that reality check there in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul had been dealing with people who, who said, well, you've got to follow the Jewish way. You've got to do things the right way. Paul had also been dealing with quite a number of people who said, well, we're super apostles. He talks about them in, in 1 Corinthians, for example. There were a lot of people who, just like today, were going around and saying, well, if you're a Christian, God's going to bless you. He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll never have any problems. You'll overcome. You'll go from glory to glory to glory to glory, and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be wonderful and, uh, and you've you got to be the best and the brightest if you're, if you're Christians and if you, you're not going from glory to glory, if you're not experiencing all these things, then something's wrong with you. And Paul says, this is completely backwards. You don't understand. The, life, the Christian life is not about that. In fact, biblically, there's one thing that the Bible guarantees that we all will experience as Christians. 
in this life? Suffering. That's a very popular message for another time. Have Rian invite me back and say, hey, do the suffering message. Because, you know, people are just begging. More suffering, Rod. More suffering. Uh, I want to hear another sermon. So more suffering. Uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. But uh, uh, anyway, so, so Paul says, no, the reality is not this. He said, if the reality was this, then I would have had it all before I even became a Christian. Paul says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I knew the Bible. Pharisees memorized the Old Testament. Paul had the Old Testament memorized. He was the, people, the kind of people that everybody looked up to. He had religious success. He had Roman citizenship as well as being a Jew of Jews. He had success. He had a trade. He had respect. He had education. He had just about everything that anybody could possibly want before he became a Christian. And then after he became a Christian and then became an apostle, he really became a nobody. And he says there in Corinthians that we're treated like the scum of the earth, like the dregs at the bottom of the barrel. That's, that's how we're treated as apostles. And so Paul says, you know, that's not the reality of the world. But, you know, the thing that I want, I want to know Christ and the, the power of his resurrection and even have fellowship with his sufferings so I can a, attain the fullness of the life in Christ, even the resurrection of the dead. So he's, he's pushing on for all of this. But here is Paul, arguably the greatest of the apostles, certainly the most influential in the history of Christianity. Here's Paul, who in some respects in terms of religion was at the pinnacle, but now is kind of at the bottom of all things. Here's Paul saying, even I, as the, the, this apostle, I've not achieved it. Now notice as well that Paul is toward the end of his life when all this is going on. This is not the beginning of his ministry where he's saying, okay, when I retire 40 years from now, this is what I want to achieve. This is Paul toward the end of his ministry in prison, looking, contemplating the end of all things, the end of his life even. And here's Paul writing this and saying, you know, this is what I'm going after. And so he gives us a reality check. And the reality check involves two things. He says, not that I have obtained all this or have been made perfect. Paul is telling us here that no matter how long we live our lives as Christians, we will never reach the pinnacle of Christianity in this life. No matter how wounded we think we are and how much healing we might experience, we'll never be fully healed in this life. No matter how much knowledge or wisdom that we have, we'll never have what we need fully in this life. No matter how many spiritual gifts we're manifesting or how big or, or influential our ministry is, it will never be perfect. It will never be complete. It will never be totally fulfilled in this life. If we are waiting for all the circumstances to be right, if we're waiting for the healing to come, if we're waiting to have the perfect relationship and the perfect church and the perfect kids and the, the, the perfect education and the perfect prayer life and the perfect knowledge of the Bible and the perfect ability to worship God, if we're waiting for this, you will wait your entire life and waste your life waiting. Because as Paul says here, the super, the genuine super apostle, as Paul says here, I haven't obtained it. 
I'm not perfect yet. Even though I've been at this for a long time, I'm not quite there fully at this destination yet. So that's the first part of the reality check. But there's a second part of the reality check. He says, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. A lot of times we live our lives thinking, I'm just such a miserable servant. I'm such a terrible person. How can God love me? Uh, I don't think God loves me very much. And nothing I ever do is, is quite good enough for God. And we have this attitude in our minds that uh, we're worthless worm servant people who uh, might just get into heaven. But Paul says here, okay, no, I'm not perfect. And I haven't really made it my own. But I tell you what, Jesus has made me his own. I am in Christ, I am with Christ, and Jesus Christ is in me. And the reality for us as Christians is that Jesus Christ has taken hold of us through the gospel and saved us by grace through faith, which is a gift from God because it's not a work so nobody can boast. Jesus Christ has done this and made us children of God so that so much so that we have a right as Christians. There's only a couple of rights that's mentioned in the, in the New Testament for Christians. We have a right, as an apostle, you have a right to take your wife along with you. I mean, I, I'm happy about that. But uh, the other right is that we have the right to be called children of God. Did you know that? According to John chapter 1, this is your right because of what Jesus Christ has done. So Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. Jesus Christ has made us his own. And that reality animates everything in our lives. I don't need my life to be perfect. I don't need my life to be pain-free. I don't need my life to not have any problems in it. I don't need my life to have everything that I want in it or think I want in it. All I need is to realize that Jesus Christ has taken hold of me and I have everything in Christ Jesus. And if we don't live with that twofold reality, that one, this life's not going to be perfect, and two, But Jesus, who is perfect, has taken hold of us in this life right now and will not let us go. Then it will be impossible for us really to live our lives as God has designed for us to live in Christ Jesus. So that's our reality check. And from the reality check then, Paul moves into his one thing. This for Paul... He's saying effectively to the Philippians, this is my key for success. This is my one thing, the one thing that I do. Now, there's a few one things in the Bible, but for this one, this is for Paul. This is my one thing. And we pick up the narrative there. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead... I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, for Paul, his one thing to me always sounds a bit like three things. But it's one thing. He said, one thing I'm doing. Now, as I'm doing this one thing, I'm doing two other things. The one thing that I'm doing, the two other things. First of all, I'm forgetting what lies behind. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not looking at the hurts of the past. I'm not looking at the pain. I'm not looking at the junk. I'm not going to pay attention to that. 
Now, by forgetting here, this word does not mean, oh, that you'll never remember it and never have it in your mind. That's not what it means. It means that you will choose not to call it to your mind. You will choose not to dwell on it. You will choose not to pay attention to it. We all have brokenness in our lives. You and, and, and I, we could sit together and we could talk and compare notes about how parents have disappointed us or abused us, uh, the th- kinds of things that we've gone through. We could compare notes, and, but you know that's a useless exercise because you'll always find somebody who's better off than you are and you'll always find somebody who's worse than you are. The point is that if you pay attention to the past, you will always be anchored to the past. If you're running a race and always looking behind you as you run the race, guess what? You're going to trip more than you're going to run. And so Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I'm not going to pay attention to the stuff in my past. The good stuff or the bad stuff. The woundedness that I'm carrying, I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not paying attention to it. Yes, it's there. I know it's there. But that's not going to be where I focus. I play guitar. And I enjoy playing guitar. But you know, sometimes playing the guitar hurts. Now, I could focus on the pain that is in my fingers pressing on the strings. Or I can focus on the joy of singing and making melody to the Lord. If I focus on the first, I'll stop playing. If I focus on the second, I don't care about the pain. I will press through the pain. And that's what Paul is saying. You've got to have the right focus. Don't pay attention to the stuff behind you. Not only the bad stuff, but also the good stuff. Now, I could stand up here and say, well, yeah, I've got a doctorate. I could stand up here and say, well, yeah, you know, I was, I was uh, what was I, number eight in, in my graduating class at high school out of 838 people. Uh, you know, I could say I had these grades. I could say I have all this. But you know what? None of that makes any difference. It really doesn't. Right now, nobody cares what grades that I got in high school, including me. Nobody cares what grades I got in college. They're absolutely unimportant to my life right now. They seem to be important at the time, and I would encourage people to do well and study well, but they're not important right now. You know, so I can look at all the stuff in the past, but then I'm just going to be resting on my laurels. And how many times have we seen somebody who played football at university and did great, and, and maybe they won a trophy, and 40 years later, all they talk about is the trophy that they won at university. I think there's more to life than what happened in the past. The past is all part of the process leading me toward the future. And that's what Paul says. So he's forgetting. He's not paying attention to what lies behind him. And then he says the other part of the one thing that he's doing is he's doing the one thing is that he's straining forward to what lies ahead. And right now I'm very tired. Our house is being worked on. So we are literally living in a building site. Dust and everything is all around. And you know here with with the church, with the lift being down, uh, you know, you guys only have to walk down a few steps to get here. Well, I go up a lot of steps back, and, and it's just, you know, I just, you just get wore out by all the stuff that's going on. And everything in you from time to time just wants to quit, just wants to give up. And, and you just want to say, is this worth it all? And then in that moment, what I do 
is this. I'm going to move forward. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's not going to be easy. There'll be times when you feel like you're walking through treacle. There'll be times when you feel like there are, are rubber bands that are holding you, trying to yank you backward. And you just keep straining forward. You keep taking the next step. I love what the great runner Roger Bannister, first man to break the four-minute mile, used to say something like this, that uh, the one who can go continue once the effort gets painful is the one who will win. I I really mauled that quote, sorry. Uh, But you get the gist of the idea. That if you're going to win, you got to push forward. So Paul says, I'm going to not pay attention to what's behind, and I'm going to strain toward what what lies ahead, and then I'm going to do the one thing, which is press on toward the goal. Press on toward the goal. Now, press on means that we keep going. You don't stop. You don't quit. You keep going. No matter what, I am going toward the goal. Now notice that Paul doesn't tell us what the goal is. And I believe that's because we each have a different goal. I quoted the passage from Ephesians chapter 2 about uh, we're saved by grace through faith and this is not uh, a, a work. It's from God so nobody can boast. For we are, Paul continues, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared for us in advance to do. In other words, God has set out a goal for your life that is uniquely yours, that only you can accomplish, and he's put it before you, and you need to press on toward that goal. Your goal is going to be different than mine. Your race will be different than mine. How you, the course of your life is going to be different from mine. But we all have a goal, and we all are to keep pressing on till we get to that goal as Christians. We cannot quit. We cannot stop. We press on toward the goal that God sets us out for our lives. Now, sometimes God doesn't tell us the full goal in advance. Sometimes all we need to do is take the next step toward Jesus. Press on toward Jesus. Like the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's talking about that again in the context of running a race. So we keep focused on Jesus, we keep moving forward, and we keep choosing to press on toward the goal that God has for us. And we press on toward the goal so that we can win the prize. And the really awesome thing about the Christian life is that everybody can win the prize. Everybody can win the prize. You can win first prize because there's only one person in that race that God has put out before you. You can get the same reward as the Apostle Paul. You can have the same reward as Peter. You can have the same reward as me. I can have the same reward as you. Because we're pressing on toward the goal that God has set before each of us so that as we achieve that goal, as we get to that goal, we win the prize. And this is the reason that God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the thing that we must do. 
We must not pay attention to the past. We must keep straining toward the future and press on until we get to that goal and your goal will not be achieved until the end of your life. The goal will not be fully realized until the end. But you can win the prize for that goal and not only can you win the prize, that's part of God's purpose for calling you heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's just like we sang earlier in the songs. Now, we're destined for heaven. We're destined for that new heaven and a new earth. We're destined to rule and reign with Christ. We're destined to be God's people. But that destination will only be fulfilled in the life to come. But we can press on toward the goal. And that is absolutely key for living your life in Christ Jesus. Prayer is good. Reading the Bible is good. Obviously, they help us to understand what the goal is. Worship is important. Helps us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. All the things that we do as Christians uh, are very important. But we press on toward that goal. Not expecting for life to be perfect. Not waiting for everything to be just like we want it. We keep pressing on. And then Paul gives us one other encouragement here in the one thing. And, and I, I, I call this encouragement, grow up. Paul's essentially saying, grow up. He says, the, the last couple of verses there, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've already attained. We must grow up. In other words... We expect little children to whine and cry when they're hungry and when they're upset. We expect that. But if you're an adult Christian and you're whining and crying, Oh God, my life's not working out. Oh God, this is not, this is not right. Oh God, my, my wife's not treating me the way I deserve. Oh God, my pastor's not paying attention to me. Oh God, I don't have what I want. Oh God, my boss is in... He's got, got. Grow up kind of offensive that's okay grow up now if you're mature this is going to be your attitude the attitude is i'm not going to quit i'm going to press on until i have the goal because i've got the spirit of god living inside of me jesus has redeemed me from my sin god is my father right now and i can get to the goal And so I'm going to press on. I'm not going to whine. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to press on to the goal and I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be mature in this. And he also says, and hold on to what you've attained. I think one of the greatest tragedies that I see, and I've seen it more and more and more and more in the last five years. It's increasing rapidly. You're going to see it are people who have walked with the Lord faithfully for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes built great ministries. Obviously, the Lord's done it through them. And then they have an affair. They get greedy, find their hands in the till. They do something really, really foolish and sinful, and they lose everything. I would hate to have run my race and be this close to the goal only to sin 
and take myself out of the race. And many people are doing that. And Paul says, grow up. Hold on to what you've attained already. Don't go backwards. Keep going forward, even if it's a little step at a time. I think it's so important for us, and I think Paul is encouraging us here, in a sense, to remember our future. Many times we want to remember the past. But Paul says, remember the future. Remember where you're going to be. Remember what's coming at the end of this life's journey. Remember what God has planned for you. Remember that you can trust this because Jesus Christ came from the Father. He went back to the Father, and he's going to come again from the Father to take us fully to the Father. And so we must remember the future. The future is more important than the past. The future is where we're going. The future is where we will live forever. And so remember the future and press on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. You are such a good and awesome and wonderful, amazing, gracious, extraordinary, fabulous, marvelous, loving Heavenly Father. And we thank you. Thank you for redeeming us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you'd encourage each of us to press on. No matter how much we feel like it, help us not to give up, but to press on. No matter how much we hurt, help us not look at the past, but press on. Until we achieve the goal that you have set out for us. One that you've designed especially for us. One that is eminently achievable because Jesus is in us and Christ has taken hold of us and the Spirit of God animates our lives. And you're our Father and we're really pressing on to your loving arms. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you and adore you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.